We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 327. Not exactly how we wanted the road trip to end. Not in, No wins in Arizona, just two quick losses, and then they got out of there. But like you said, they got out of there healthy. That's all you wanted. So I guess all in all, looking back on the road trip, not the worst thing in the world. I mean, we talked about it before on the last show when we were going into Arizona and both of us were like, hey, you know, like it's going to be, we'd like some wins. That'd be nice. It's going to be, they're a pretty good team. But if we don't come out with wins, not going to be the worst thing in the world. As long as we come out healthy with healthy pitchers, nobody getting hurt, don't do anything stupid, go home and let's just figure it out when we get back to the Bronx, you know, like that's just it. And that's where I still am after the losing two. The fact that Monday was an off day, it just felt like that is when the road trip should have ended, and it right. didn't. And I think that's how the Yankees played on Tuesday and Wednesday. 
Yeah, it was kind of weird having that two-game little... Like I said, it was like a connection. It was like a connecting flight going home to New York and you have a yep. long layover in freaking Arizona. You know, like, what was the point of that? I mean, I get, you know, it's the it's the home and home. I get it, but, you know, this isn't college football. Like, can we just, can we do some normal scheduling, please? Right, the two, the two off days in one week makes it... We, this is just a point. This is a weird little tidbit about the MLB schedule where with the interleague play and then they have to line it up. So you play two against the Diamondbacks this, this week. And then sometime later in the season, they're going to play two at Yankee Stadium. And because of that, you got a Monday and a Thursday off day. Meanwhile, the Yankees are going to go home and they don't have an off day for like 13 straight days. So, <laughs> right. so it's like, can you meet somewhere in the middle here? Well, hopefully in that in the beginning of that stretch and the fact that we don't have days off, we're getting some some uh, bodies back, some some reinforcements, yeah. so it won't hurt as as badly, you know, having like that many in a row. In fact, it might be good with new guys coming back, not having time off, just getting fully into it and getting it back into the groove and immersing themselves completely into baseball. So, you know, guys on the horizon, man, like that's that's it, right? We we need our health back, we need our team back. We've we've I feel like we've um, you know, we've outlasted this 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 injury thing, yeah, and we need it to be over Can't because it's, it's it's not going to stay. This is not sustainable. Not sustainable. I, I, we kind of talked about it on the last episode, just saying we could see how this is going to end. Like guys are going to need to have to start coming back soon, or else the house of cards is going to come down, yes. and it's going to come down in a fury. I don't want to see any more, you know, <laughs> games where Tyler Wade is getting like five or six EFIS pitches by Zach Greinke and just like every single pitcher who's throwing a ball to Tyler Wade is throwing under 80 miles an hour taking a lot of shots <laughs> at Tyler Wade and he's just and I'm a I'm a I'm a Tyler Dean Wade guy not in this role though I don't want to see him every day I, I want to see him in the capacity that I had lined him up for as a role player a defensive guy that can come in and be a good team guy. Not a guy who's playing every single day. That's not where we want him. You want Wheels Wade to be showing off the speed on the base paths. I want to I want to make his strengths stand out and help the team and not have to deal with the the really bad stuff about his game on an everyday basis because he's not an everyday player. He's just not. And if he's a if he's a he's not a utility guy too in the sense that right, so you, then what is it? The, no, in the sense that you want him to be a utility guy. It's, it's, let me finish my the rest of it because he's a utility guy in like the old school way where, like a Hetcheverio type way where he's so going, he doesn't bat. No, he plays defense. He runs the bases. Right, he's he gonna do bat. all these things. He he's he gonna bunt go to bat. He can bunt. He can do the things that you want for, him to do for that all have nothing, the times. That, that, Anything in the infield, he's good with. Just don't for expect the, anything to go in the outfield. For the two times a year the Yankees bunt, Tyler Wade will be there. Yes. And that number will go up if Tyler Wade's available to bunt. But not when he's starting every game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all right. That's, that's enough Tyler Wade talk. Maybe we'll talk about him a little more when we talk about the Grinky. Actually, definitely talk about him more when we talk about the Wednesday yeah. afternoon game. Uh, just a couple housekeeping items, though. We got a great show for you today. Later on the episode, Scott, you spoke with Mike Petriello. He does StatCast for MLB.com. He has the StatCast podcast. He writes a bunch of articles for MLB.com. He is, the, he is a baseball nerd through and through. You talk to him about what? About, about numbers, about the, the analytics of a lot of, the, a lot of the stuff that we touched on was how did the Yankees get to this point with their replacements? Like, how are these guys doing what they're doing? What were the Yankees looking at to you know, go out and acquire some of these guys that really were, were not, you know, hot button guys that people wanted to go and acquire. Cashman and his team made, 
you know, the phone calls to put themselves in positions to, to, you know, acquire guys at the right time or, um, to, to identify players that were, uh, you know, not really that, that much, uh, sought after. And I thought one of the, one of the really interesting things that, that, that I took away from this and, you know, I kind of knew this in the back of my head, but really didn't, haven't really thought about it, but we talk about the analytics and how available those numbers are in the minor leagues. And mm-hmm. it's interesting what he was talking about because, you know, the Yankees, while we know they have an edge with the department of analytics and the team of nerds that they have, well, they also have a lot of technology and, and, and things that are available to them that maybe other teams don't, or maybe they haven't invested in. And that's a that, big leg up. That's the thing, the investment. I've read some articles and I've heard people talk that there's a lot of teams that are not willing to make the, that investment. Maybe they're willing to do it at the AAA level, maybe even the AA level, but a lot of the low-level single A, the extended spring, tra- like extended spring yeah. training games that are going on, all of these different organizations that the team has underneath the main the main level, they're not willing to make that investment. The Yankees, obviously, they are willing to make the investment. And I think that's also why, and I'm, I already know I'm going to get backlash for this. I'm going to get people calling me a shill for the team. But when someone says, oh, the Yankees are cheap, they don't take that kind of stuff into consideration. If they went out and signed Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, I wouldn't have given a crap because it is not my money. But at the same time, I also understand that they are making investments in other areas, teams are not willing to, and it's not just the MLB payroll. Right. But yeah, like you said, the fan, the fan does not care about that. The fan doesn't see those things. They don't care about those things. They don't how they don't really a lot of fans, I think more on the casual side, don't care how their players get to where to, to get to the, the point where they're wearing pinstripes. They just want to wear the pinstripes. They don't care about all the other stuff. But if you they don't care about if you don't if you don't make the road good yeah, but the, for the players. but they don't understand they don't care about that justification either <laughs> that's that's the thing like they just want the guys that they want in pinstripes and that's it there are teams literally feeding their single a ball players mcdonald's they will they will after the game stop the team bus at mcdonald's and guys will wolf down three big macs because right. they're hungry and they're 20 year 20 year old kids who are professional athletes and they need calories whereas the yankees have like personal uh they train them on how to cook how to eat healthy they have i mean i don't know how how far they do that down the line though oh they do i i was just reading it in inside the yankee empire okay. they, they're they're training these guys especially the guys that are coming in from uh overseas who have never co- eaten a healthy meal in their life because they, they they grew up in an impoverished country they're teaching these guys what nutrition is and how they should be eating healthy meals <laughs> hey good for them anyway how did we get on that? I don't remember. What else I don't know. Do, what else do we have to tell people about? I feel like this is a this is like a, a really weird time right now because we've been on the West Coast for a, you know a week plus. My brain and hurts. with these really really long games, the long nights, which I've been up for almost every single one of. Them. I don't think I missed one game, which is utterly ridiculous. Unless it was during the day and I wanted to do something. That's the problem. That there's my problem. Like if it's at night and I, I'm just sitting here, I'm like I, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna stay awake. But then when it's on during the day, I'm like. I don't want to sit in the house during the day. Like I want to go do something. So I'll watch the ones till three in the morning, but yeah. then the four o'clock ones, I'll, I'll try to, you know, watch on my phone. That's good for you. I have no guilt for those for some reason. I remember what we wanted to tell people about, and that is George's box. Episode seven came out Wednesday on their, on their feed. George's box. If you guys have not subscribed yet, go search for it in wherever you get your podcasts. 
uh, episode seven. They talked about a lot of stuff going on with the Yankees, but they also touched on a few Major League Baseball topics. Vladdy Jr. Keith told a hilarious story about, about Pablo, Pablo Sandoval. Pablo yeah. Sandoval. Just I don't want to ruin it, but just being a fatso in the MLB fan cave. So definitely yeah. go check that out. Um, we are now in May. It's officially May. You know what that means? I don't know what that means. <laughs> that means May 31st is right around the corner. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, yeah, we're still in housekeeping. See, I, like my mind is not here. I don't even know. I, there's a game coming up at like 10 o'clock, right? I got to prepare myself. <laughs> but no, no, there's no game. Uh, May 31st. Yeah, we're, we're right around like 200 tickets sold already. So we're, uh, we're, we're cruising to the point where I'm, uh, you know, this is going to be sold out. We sold over 300 last year. Uh, we're still we're right at a month away right now, and you know less than half of the tickets are are still there. And usually the way that these things work is there's always a late push. And uh, with this Red Sox series, I expect that late push to be earlier. So, and I know of a couple of very very big groups that are coming in, um, and they're just waiting on some people to come in. So, and these are people that have come to games in many times. So um, get your groups, get your get your people together, get the May 31st event. Um, also, right after that, it's going to be faster than than we know, but June 20th. June twenty second, thank you, is a Saturday. Uh, this is our this is our only night game on a Saturday because the Yankee schedule at home was weird this year. But it's a seven o'clock game against Houston. It's gonna be a really good game, um, and uh, we still have a bunch of tickets available for that one. That's gonna be a really fun event. We're still trying to lock down a parking lot, and uh, we have some some good. Uh, some good uh, leads on, on, on getting a, a tailgate and working out some things in the back end. So I'm really hoping that comes to fruition because if it does, that's something that we want to build upon. Um, if not, we'll be at the dugout, but we're working on something good in the background for that one. So get those tickets as well. And also, last thing, the BP Crew chapters, we're doing our first invasion in Tampa. That is going to be on July 6th, which is a, uh, a Saturday game. And it's the Saturday... Uh, that we go to Tampa to play the Devil Rays, and we have uh, 200 tickets available. Boom. That could be for first place. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be our first like setup invasion. I already have a lot of people that are ready to go. The Tampa chapter is uh, excited for it. We're, we're, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I'm excited to... I'm not excited to go to the trap, but I'm excited to yell and scream at the trap. You're not excited and, to see how shitty it is? Like part of me a little bit maybe yeah. for for that reason just, just like doc, just, you to just shit go on around it. taking videos like about shitting on yeah. everything I sh- yeah. like shit on that I yeah. shit on this yeah yeah I mean maybe that like that's fun <laughs> that, that, that does sound fun <laughs> okay. yeah yeah I got but there's you nothing excited. good there's nothing that's like appealing to going to that place besides shitting on it yeah okay yeah, yeah but, that's enough that's okay. enough for me that's enough to okay. warm my cold dead heart all right <laughs> let's talk about this road trip six and three. I said last episode I was just hoping for four and five or five and four, so six and three, beautiful. You know, could ask for a win in Arizona, fine. If you wanted to trade a win, isn't it so funny how the brain works that if they went just maybe split in Anaheim and then split in Arizona, it, it just feels differently coming home than having lost the last two. But like we said, it was such a quick series, such a quick stop in Arizona. They went up against Greinke, who was filthy on Tuesday night just totally shut down their lineup. And that's what Greinke is supposed to do. Greinke, he's on the older side. He's 35 years old. He's not the same pitcher he was when he was in Los Angeles, but he can still shut down a team that is trotting out there a lot of replacement level players. I mean, that's not even giving him enough credit though. Just He can shut down a good lineup too. He has shut down lineups because if you look at his, basically he got shelled on opening day and since then he's made six starts and has a 2.01 ERA and a 190 batting average against. Yeah. Very, very good numbers. In today's day with 
you know, with guys hitting the fastball a mile and, you know, you're seeing more and more breaking balls. When you have a guy who can change locations, uh, change up the speeds, mix everything up and, and have like a, a just a good mix against a, a lineup, you're going to have more success. And that's what he does. I mean, he can hit his spots and he can change it up and he can he throws a 68 mile an hour, as you called it before we were recording. You and uh, you and I were talking about the fact: is it an ephus or is it a curve? Well, they categorize it as a slow curve, mm-hmm. and a slow curve to me is a freaking ephus pitch. It's a spinner; it doesn't curve; it just goes. It floats. It goes from point A to point B slowly. So yeah, like the guy mixes it up. Uh, he's got a horrible mullet. Um, oh, you know, I love the it's mullet. Like, it's I think bleached. It's, it's got like bleached yeah. streaks in the mullet. It, he lo- he he looks like a crackhead from Alabama. He really, <laughs> he really does. Do you he know? Looks, do you know the comedian Theo Vaughn? Is he the guy that was in like Road Rules? No, I I don't think so. I think so. he is. I think he is. Google him right now. But he kind of like th- Zach Greinke looks like Theo Vaughn's kind of drugged out cousin. Anyway. I think if I Google anything, my uh, my screen <laughs> okay. will screw up. Don't don't try it then. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the guy though. Actually, I have my phone. But uh, yeah, whether it's an Ephus pitch, whether it's a slow curveball, he was making some of the Yankees hitters look silly. He throws it about five percent of the time, so he just mixes it mixes it in just enough to take you off a fastball that is no longer 95 miles an hour. He's throwing his fastball 89 to 91 miles an hour. So then he pulls back. He's got that slow curve in the arsenal. And as a hitter, it's extremely difficult to adjust to all those different things. He's still going to hit his spots. He's still going to um, move the ball from side to side on the plate. And when he's changing speeds like that, he's, he's a tough pitcher. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, um, he's just one of those guys that... I said this last show that he, you know, he's he's a guy that can age well because of that, because he can lo- locate those, uh, the locate his pitches and and change up and and throw, you know, pretty much everything for a strike. You know, he's dangerous and he will be until he retires. He will be a pain in the ass and be a good pitcher because he's a good pitcher. He's not just a thrower; the guy can pitch. And that's the he's thing smart. that the Yankees had not faced to this point in the road trip, really, since their winning streak started was was tough opponents. Because on the season, they, well, you're talking about pitching. We we did face Madison Bumgardner. I mean, uh, yes. Okay, sorry. Not necessarily just pitcher matchup, but team team wise. Team uh, matchup. The Arizona Diamondbacks are far and away better than the Giants and the Angels for sure. And the Royals, which and is the, Royals. The, the Yankees put, uh, beat three out of four before they went on the road trip. And surprisingly, to this point in the season, we're a month through the season. The Yankees have only played five games against teams who are currently above 500. That's very surprising, especially because they played two against the Red Sox. No one expected the Red Sox to be below 500 at this point in the season. But they're 0-5 against those teams. Three against the Astros, two, these two games against the Diamondbacks. It's yeah. such a small sample that you can't really take anything away from it. Right. And also, at least in these two games against the Diamondbacks, it, it is the replacements that are, that are losing these games. It's not like, these, were, these were tight games, too. It's not like they were bad games. They were actually good, good games to watch. They were entertaining yes. games, good, some good baseball. It was it was. Uh, you know, low scoring. I thought the the end of both games, like there was a, an opportunity to do something. Especially uh, today, especially games. Wednesday afternoon, the Yankees had a bunch of chances late in that game. Um, at different points in that game, really, with diff- with base runners on in innings, a couple calls didn't go their way. And yep. then really the back-breaking moment of the game was Glaber grounding into the double play in the yes, eighth inning with nobody out. Right. Um, you get first and second. Sanchez has a good at-bat, gets a base hit, and Glaber's up there first pitch. Dagger, dagger, just yeah. to to the rally, and I know they ended up scoring another run, but that was really once that happened, I kind of knew the game was not they're not going to win the game. Well, I mean, even you go into um, 
when Maben had that really good at bat too. He was down 0-2 and then worked the count full and then took a walk. That was the seventh inning. That was the seventh inning. And then also you can so Boone pinch hits Estrada in that in that um, next he pinches it hits Estrada for the pitcher at that point and right. it's a three one count in Estrada swinging like no you know your role Tario like take a pitch Tar- Tario Tario <laughs> Tyro. Ty- Tyro? 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 It's like a, it's like a, it's not a full th, but it's a Tyro. Um, I don't mind him swinging a 3-1 pitch. I mean, like someone's got to, someone's got to do something in this lineup. Might as well be you. If you get a pitch that you like at 3-1, swing the bat. I mean, you're still a professional hitter. The, uh, and by the way, Theo Vaughn road rules for sure. That's where he started. Interesting. Yeah. That's all I know him from when you said the name. Um, I didn't even know he was a comedian, but the, uh, he's a good comedian. The, the, Look, it, there were good games. They had opportunities to win. They didn't win. Nobody got hurt. That's all. That, I'll, I'll go back to that. I'm so happy. You just want to skip over it. These games didn't happen. Yeah, just I'm just. On. I'm just happy. No, I'm just. I want to make sure that my feelings are out there. I'm happy about it. This is the this is the happiest I've ever been after two uh, sweep. Would you have rather? Would you have rather they won the two games but lost another player? No. <laughs> Who's the player? Who's the player? <laughs> That's a good question. No, yeah. I don't want to lose anybody. Because obviously if it's like Gary Sanchez again or Luke No, Voigt, I don't want to lose anybody. Not, so. I'm not I'm yeah. joking. I don't want to lose anybody. They're all important people at this point. Everybody's <clears throat> important. Well, maybe not Tyler Wade. All of them are important. CC's important. He got his 3000 strikeout. Um that was early in the game on Tuesday. Everyone was sort of just waiting for that moment to happen. He was only 3 strikeouts away. He got it on old friend John Ryan, don't call him JR Murphy couple of interesting stats on the 3,000 strikeouts over CC's career. So number 1,000, Ichiro, Hall of Fame name. Number two, uh, 2,000, Torrey Hunter. Not a Hall of Famer, but brand, brand name. If you've watched baseball over the last two decades, you know the name Torrey Hunter. Number 3,000, John Ryan Murphy. Doesn't really fit in that trio, but nevertheless, there he is. But also very cool because John Ryan Murphy being a former New York Yankee, caught CeCe Sabathia, they're friends, he was talking about him, the, how they text and talk, um, and also John Ryan Murphy caught CeCe Sabathia's 2500, 2500th strikeout. So uh, there's history there with him as well with, with Miles. So, so it's, it's kind of cool how, how that puts a nice little bow on it. It was funny because when you hear CeCe talk about it, he, was, he obviously did like a thousand interviews afterwards, um, he was probably so ready to get through those interviews and, uh, talking about John Ryan Murphy. Um, but you know, they talked and they were friends and that was the, the one the, there were two guys he didn't want it to be. He didn't want it to be Granky cause he's a pitcher and they didn't want, he didn't want it to be John Ryan Murphy cause he was a friend. So those are the two guys he didn't want it to be. Well, then he should have, he should have walked him. Yeah. Well, he struck him out. He said, I'll, he said, I'll sign some things for him. And I <laughs> gave a little chuckle. It's kind that. of an insult. Yeah, he knew it too. He knew what he said. It. He was kind of like giving a shot. It's uh, still best John Ryan, uh, John Ryan Murphy moment is when he's getting champagne dumped. Actually, he's dumping champagne on he's hammered. The, the 2015 wildcard celebration. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. He looked like a college kid ready to go. They all did. It was great. I tweeted out this poll. Um, would you rather, as a player, put yourself in a player's shoes, have 3,000 hits or 3,000 strikeouts? I thought this was going to be a landslide, but I also tweeted out the information that 32 players have 3,000 hits and only 17 players have 3,000 strikeouts. So the 3K strikeout club is more exclusive than the 3K hit club. The poll Especially resu- the, Yep, sorry, go ahead. The poll results, 53% to 47% people want the hits. But I thought it was going to be 75-25, honestly. Yeah, oh, maybe because you know of, of what's happening happened, now. But. Yeah. 
Um, but also CC was, you know, the number, the third lefty to do it too, which is extremely exclusive. Now you're talking about Randy Johnson, Steve Carlton and CC Sabathia. And, you know, he was talking about it as well and that he's not, you know, not, uh, you know, he's thinking about the fact that he's a, a black pitcher and that he's the, the, the one guy representing, uh, black baseball players in the, in that club and how important that is to him. And he's talked about that before. But I think it's a, just an interesting dynamic of what's happening, uh, especially in today's game, just because it's such a narrative at, at certain points. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I would, I, I, would be, I would rather be a pitcher, personally. But, interesting. Um, Why? Yeah. Because, I, I don't know, I just, um, I think when you're going up against, when you're, when you're a pitcher and you're going up against all these major league caliber, caliber guys um, and, you're, and you're, you get to 3,000, that means your longevity as a pitcher to me, longevity as a pitcher almost is more impressive when you get to that point than it is a hit, as a hitter. Like the especially, fact that your I mean, arm over the last, stayed on your body for I that think long over the last two decades that's and was functional. The case. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's very rare. So if you did that, one, you had a very long career, and and two, you were effective your entire career. I, I, did, I did not. If you had asked me before I looked up the stat, I would have assumed there were more more strikeout uh, guys with three thousand strikeouts than. Than three thousand hits. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You said that you'd rather be a pitcher. I think I'd rather be a position player who hits. But I think that if given the ability, I think I would be a better pitcher than I would position player. The reason being is because I think that for pitcher, you can you can outthink. Uh, you can out you, you can sort of out you. It's a thinking you think you're smart. You think you're smarter than other everybody else is what you're saying. I think I think so. I'm yeah, that's what I'm saying. No. I think that uh, if you're willing to do the work and the preparation, that you can outthink the the batter. You are in a position of dominance when you have the ball on the mound instead of a position of reaction where you are in the batter's box. I right. I was also a uh, I sound like one of those douchey callers up to WFN. I was a catcher in high school. Part of the fun of catching was working with the pitcher, calling the game, even though most of the guys only had two pitches at that point anyway, but it's still the strategy involved was, was fun for me. On the other side of that, isn't it then, to your logic, more impressive of the batter getting that many hits, considering he was talking not about in what's position more impressive. I'm not saying what's more impressive. Yeah, just where you want to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think, I think the, it's more sexy to get 3,000 hits. It depends, it depends how you're getting them. If you're just getting a bunch of singles, if you're just a, a guy who's getting uh, getting on base, I think the strikeouts very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> um, <laughs> just so for you guys listening at home, we're 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 doing video. We're starting to do more video. So uh, it just the look on his face when he said that just threw me for a loop. Let's talk about the uh, the replay nightmares on Wednesday afternoon. Boone gets tossed late in the game, really because of a play that happened earlier in the day where Tyler Wade hits a ground ball, uh, trying to turn two. Mike Talkman's going to second base. It looks like the shortstop comes off the bag too early. Um, they call Talkman out at second base. Uh, Boone challenges it. It's not overturned even though replay, I think, clearly shows the guy is off the bag too early. The old, quote, neighborhood play. If this were 2010, it wouldn't even be a question. No, nobody cares. Neighborhood play, done. Like, we know. It's okay. It's a neighborhood play. But now, everything's 
by the uh, by the centimeter. We got to we got to uh, do the replay, and they just didn't overturn it. Yeah, I mean, I guess they they they. If you ask them, I haven't even heard their reasoning, but if they were to comment, I bet they would say there was not enough evidence to turn it over. That's not clear and, you know, decisive that, That's what they say for everything. Every time it's, there's it's not a, an overturn. That's what it doesn't matter, like, what happens. Yeah, but even if there is an overturn, like like the home run ball that, that Glaber hit, a clear, clear evidence. You had clear evidence to call that an out? No, you did not. So you, they go on the other side of it. And, That's and, the reason and, and that people like, get so mad about replays. Yeah, because it goes both ways. It's so inconsistent. Not consistent. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing consistent about it. The fact I think that everyone they, is on the same page that if you're going to have instant replay, at least be consistent with the way you call things. Because by getting it right, <laughs> but obviously by getting it right. But otherwise, we're just wasting our time. It took over two minutes for them to not over to, or for them to stay with the call on the field that was clearly wrong. And so I, why is that good? Because the whole point of it. Is not to decisive evidence and all this other bullshit. The point of it is to get the calls right. That's yeah. that's the reason it's there. And if they would just lean on that and say, "Look, we're here to get the calls right." Not if it. This is not a court of law where you have to prove a guy, um, you know, beyond a shred of a shadow of a doubt. You have to, you have to just get the call right. That's it. You don't have to prove it to anybody. Just get it right. He was off the bag. <clears throat> he was off the bag, but. I'm not even mad. And then they're also, and then they're also talking about like the ball doesn't. Jeff Nelson was talking about how the ball. They're saying the ball just has to enter the cavity of the glove, not hit the back of the leather. Like what? What are we talking about here, man? Like we're talking about so when the ball disappears, is that it? Like at what angle? Because what if the angle that where you can see the ball all the way to the all the way through is the one angle where you can see where the foot's off the bag? Then how do you know? That's like when George Costanza ate the eclair out of the trash can, and he said it wasn't. There was bo- nothing wrong with that. It, it wasn't on top. It wasn't below. It wasn't below the rim. It wasn't yeah. below the cavity. It was sitting on top, clear, right. visible. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not even mad that he the the call necessarily. I'm not mad about the call because I think it should have been a double play, or it, it should have been. Play. It should have been an out at second base. Right. He, I agree. He was. He was. Feet off the like, Talkman was feet from the bag. It wasn't a bang bang play. The guy just brought his foot off the bag too early. It's a hair. It's a, a neighborhood. Hair. It's a neighborhood play that doesn't get called before this instant rate replay bullshit. So I, I'm not even mad about necessarily the fact that the Yankees uh, that it was an out. I'm more mad about the hypocrisy of replay because yes. a week earlier we see the the hidden ball trick, whatever it is, with Tyler Wade. Where, like you said, he's lifting up his leg literally to pass some gas, and he gets called out because he's off the bag by a centimeter for a split second. It's like if we're gonna go th- down to the down to the microscopic centimeter like that, then you have to always do it. You can't be inconsistent. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It, it was just a the neighborhood play. The, here's the other thing: the whole point. The, a lot of the reason why why Major League Baseball has implemented some of these new rules, right? The the whole um, no collisions at home plate, uh, at second base, you know, the, the the runner has to go directly into the bag. They're not allowed to slide around the bag like they used to and put their hand out and break up a double play. Like, all that stuff is now being, you know, penalized. But but yet the neighborhood play is off. And the neighborhood play really is is a 
is a, a player safety thing. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. It's so bang bang that they're not going to be in a degree. They're going to they want the player to co- sweep the bag, come across, and make a clear throw. You know, if they're right around the bag, then it's an out because clearly they were there in time. And they don't want those collisions to happen at second base. So if we're taking away that neighborhood play and we're going to be down to the nicky, that's when you start getting guys standing on the bag with a straight leg and people coming into it and knocking out knees and taking out bodies and things like that. So it's pretty counterintuitive to the way that the rule is supposed to be, you know, on the side of player safety. I don't understand that part of it. So there's a lot of contradictory things when it comes to replay and the player safety and what they're trying to do with the game. And that just happens when you tinker this much with a, a product that was just fine in the beginning. You also take fun out of the equation, I think, because it's what people were, were talking about for three innings. And that's not what you should be talking about for three innings. You should be talking about the action on the field, not if the dude's foot was off the bag by a centimeter or not. And every time there's a replay that doesn't go one way or the other for a certain team, I think it takes fun out of it for a fan. It takes fun out of it for, for people watching the game. And at the end of the day, this is entertainment. Baseball is supposed to be fun, and it's, it's just not fun when we have to deal with that crap. Well, well, and it also breaks the momentum of the game. I mean, the the base the game has a flow, and when you're sitting there for two minutes for, for no change, for literally no reason at all, we're just standing around watching guys do nothing. I mean, the, the people on the field aren't even making any decisions. There's some guy in an office wearing a suit, and... And now we have to, you know, the game is is now, and everybody in the in the stands and everybody watching is now at the mercy of this, uh, you know, this guy behind a bunch of screens and still can't get it right. Like, I, it, it's a, they got to fix it. Uh, you know, <laughs> we say they got to fix it. How many I, times? I don't know. How many times has one of us said they got to fix it, and well, it's do. not getting I mean, fixed? There's nothing else to say about it. They got to fix it. Do a better job, people. Do, do a your, better job. Do your get the, job. Just get the calls right, man. Like that's all I ask. Get the calls right. Yeah. And uh, it did hurt the Yankees. It, it, if it went their way, they would have had two runners on and said they lost a base runner and they were struggling for runs. So, yeah, it, it certainly could have come back to bite them. And I think Boone was pissed. That's obviously why I think he got thrown out of the game late on a ball that uh, Wade, Tyler Wade, just in the middle of all this stuff. Tyler Wade is, is attempting a bunt. The ball's in the dirt. It does not hit his left foot. They showed the side angle. It clearly hops over his left foot. And if you had any doubt about it, he does not move his foot an inch when it goes over him, meaning it did not hit him. Because if you get hit in the foot with a major league pitch, it's going to hurt, and he did not flinch. So here's the problem with, all, with replay, again, in a, in a game that happens very fast. You're taught, uh, especially in a position like that, to get on base, right? you got to get on base. It doesn't matter how you get on base. Just get on base. It's a close game. We need base runners. I don't care how you do it. Get on base. And when you're playing the game and that ball is is as close, to, and I'm sure he felt something. Like he felt the dirt. He felt something. He knew it was close. He's like, I'm going to sell this and go down to first. I'm going to get on base. He didn't sell Fine. It. But you, here's the deal. You don't think about it in the middle of that that there's freaking cameras everywhere and there's replay. You're not, your mind's not processing that and you're just trying to sell something that's not there. And, yeah. and when you're so clearly wrong, um, you know, then it becomes, you look like an idiot. But what are you taught? You're taught to get on base. Taught to, you know, oh, lean I don't into mind. a pitch. I don't How many mind. times have people said, lean into a pitch, get on base? I don't care. Yeah. Lean into a pitch. No, I'm not blaming Tyler Wade for saying it hit me trying to get on base. But no, no, I know that. But I'm, it's just it's it's one of those things where the game is is slowing down in in an unnatural way in, in a lot of cases, and it's it's uh it's against the way the game should be played. Yeah, 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 and uh, I it's think, a fast game. But when you slow it down, then you take then it's like 
you're 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 adding uh, an element that you know maybe I just sound like an old man now, but you're adding an element that's that's changing the way that the game has been played for years and years and years and years, and it's been fine. But the, the, this change has been happening for a while now. They they yes. they they're intentionally changing some of these things. I know that, but I don't know what the benefit in the grand scheme of things. Unless you're getting calls correct, and they did in this instance, unless you're getting the calls correct, I don't understand the point of it. And I think there's there's certainly you can cherry pick different plays over the course of history that said if there was instant replay Jeffrey Mayer is the first one that everybody thinks of Jeffrey Mayer I I don't even know the players involved but I know it was the Royals and the Cardinals and it was a World Series and there was it it was a key play and there was a guy clearly out at first and he was called safe or or maybe it was vice versa this was in the 80s it's it's I was not alive at the time you were like 15 at the time so um (laughs) But like it's certain plays you can pick throughout history and say, okay, yes, replay would have clearly changed this outcome. But for for every one of those, there's 50 of these like we're talking about today, and I just don't know if it's worth it. Um, you quickly mentioned uh, Jeff Nelson. What do you think of him on the calls and the broadcast? So I was listening to the first game, and uh, I had not caught the news that it was Jeff Nelson in the in the booth, and I had no You're idea like, who, who it was. is this guy. I was like, who was talking to Kenny Singleton? Are they doing like that? Because remember last year at one point, I think it was like a Saturday game though. They brought on uh, a broad. They they like did a broadcaster mix up, a mashup, and they had someone else from the oh, other like side. Oh, like they flip booths. Yeah, yeah. So I I thought it was that actually. I'm like, I was trying to think about who it was before I asked or before I looked, and uh, you know, Jeff Nelson comes up. I, you know, I thought he was I thought he was fine. I just wasn't. It's when you hear the same guys over and over again for such a long time, you're just. You know, you're you're in a routine, and then when you hear somebody new, you're like, "Wait a minute, what's up? What's what's different here? And what, who is this guy? What is he doing in the box?" Well, the West the Coast games always get the random announcers because some guys don't want to go out to the West Coast. Yeah, but Kay went out for the Angels series. He must have just wanted a vacation and be be in LA anyway. He, wasn't he at the San Fran series too? Was it? He was he was working the booth with uh, with Flaherty, and, and then he was working work the together. booth with with Kenny in yeah. San Fran, and then Kenny okay, went yeah, down yeah. to Arizona, and then because usually Flaherty gets those games. Flaherty doesn't usually work with K. Flaherty no, usually he, with Ruko. he gets the games on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruko sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought I thought Jim Nelson was, was good. I, yeah, I thought he he added uh, you know some different commentary. I think I, I love Kenny Singleton. So the fact that these guys are just having like a baseball conversation during the game, I I, I enjoy the banter. I think it's good. Um, I thought there were some good stories that came out of it, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no complaints. Uh, quick in- injury update. So Gio Urshela, we saw him play. That's really good news. Um, he was day-to-day, but he pinch hit on Tuesday, played on Wednesday. LeMay, he was day-to-day. I think it was interesting that he did not pinch hit in the ninth inning on Wednesday. I think that's pretty telling. What does that? T- yeah, exactly. What does that tell you? Romine pinch hit and said, I think if, if they had more confidence that LeMay, he was going to be back, they would have pinch hit him. But I think that they did not, in case they need to put him on the IL and then they can retroactive it retroactive it to Sunday well that and also there's a day off tomorrow it's a travel day so you know if you don't play him on uh, in today's game you're getting a full you know almost week of rest at that point you know with uh, with a couple off days going back home so you're, you're really taking advantage of the the amount of rest if you have to ramp him back up again for one at bat like is it worth it at that point um could have know, been it was, I mean, a, could, if, it was a big position it was a big if spot. he gets a base hit there who knows yeah, yeah no it was a big spot and, and you know to his credit Romine Hit the ball hard. Uh, unfortunately, it was just right at the right fielder. Um, so, 
nothing you could do about that. But yeah, I, I think I think really they 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 had these extra days and to that the fact that tomorrow is also a day off, they just wanted to give him that extra day to to get ready. I, I, look, I'm hoping it's that yeah. honestly. Like I'm really hoping it's that because uh, the Yankees cannot afford to lose Lemayhu at this point. And um, you know, it's 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 concerning when you see the knee become the problem two days after the incident occurred, you know, like to me, that's concerning because that means it's still flaring up. There's still issues. There's still something irritated in that knee days afterwards. And he was playing on it. So it was, you know, it was being aggravated as he was playing on it, even though he was playing well, it was still being aggravated. So uh, that's a, you just need rest at that point, hopefully. And we're looking at guys who are going to be coming back soon. And Duhar could be back on this homestand. That's awesome. But what happens if we get Andujar back and then we lose LeMahieu? You know, it, it's like, okay, you're just trading. You're just, you know what it is, Andrew? It's trading. next man up. That's what it is. It's next man up. <laughs> but it's just trading. That doesn't help you. You're trading one guy that's going to help you for one guy that was helping you. Yeah. I mean, you're still trying to get the guys back. I mean, you can't worry about who's going to go down. Of but. course not. But it, it's one of those things that it's just uh, uh, yet another thing with this team. We could see Andujar back. We could see Frazier back. Frazier's putting out stuff on Instagram like he's ready to go. Um, they were hoping that was going to be just a regular 10-day trip to the IL for Frazier anyway, and he's going to be back. Uh, then not far behind them, Tulowitzki and maybe Stanton, I think, would be the next two guys. So if I had Tulo, if I, le- Tulo left the game today, I think. Oh, uh, did he? Yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, did ahead, not keep... see that news, but if I had to, if I had to bet, I would say Andujar comes back, and Frazier are the first two that that would come back. Um, it seems like Frazier. It seems like Frazier's going to be ready to go. I mean, he was even talking about it today, uh, or Kenny was talking about it about him, saying that he was out there running, uh, you know, and he and he feels much better. So I, I do feel like that was more precautionary, honestly. That that's just kind of what it felt like. And maybe there was a little bit more of a, you know, some of the foot was more swollen than they wanted it to be, and they just didn't want to mess around. So I expect him to be back. And with, with Miggy, so they talked about the Yankees maybe using him just at DH. I don't think that's a good plan if you're planning on doing that for the rest of the season. But what you could do is just use him at DH until other guys come back. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be flexible with him, I think. And they're not going to put him out there, especially with Urshela doing what he's doing. I don't think Urshela is going anywhere. You know, I gotta look. I feel like we have to like identify what the roster looks like on every given day to see where the the spots are, where the spots are, and where they're not, because it's gonna become a numbers game at some point. Like, who's got to go? Who doesn't? What's going on with the bullpen? How many off days do we have? You know, who's rested? Who's pitching? Who's not? Because it's gonna be a shuffle. Well, there's that's, too many infielders assuming everyone's healthy, but yeah. I, I think that's way too big of an, of an assumption to make. Yeah, well, I think this is where this is where the Tyler Wade thing comes into play. I think because Tyler Wade, he's been a topic way too much. Get but, out of here, Tyler. Wade. But a guy like like if I'm looking at what's happening with this team, like a guy like Talkman, is I'm sending him out before I send Tyler Wade out because Tyler Wade can also play the outfield. Okay, yeah, and it's not like so Talkman, that's, that's, it's not like talk. Well, Talkman's we're not hitting losing better. anything. Yeah, Talkman's we're not hitting losing more much. than Tyler Wade, and not by a lot. I He's guess any, any added benefit that Wade can give you with uh, speed, I guess, would be worth it at that point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's more flexible. He does give you the dynamic of other of other ways, the way he's truly supposed to be intended to, to, to be used this year. Um, and Talkman, yeah, ever since Talkman left Yankee Stadium, he's been struggling. Yeah. I want to bring up a sort of a random thought that I had this week. I was tweeting about Gary Sanchez, how Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt need to be the two big power guys that carry the Yankees offense while uh, they're waiting for players to come back. And just the 
the difference of responses I got on social made me realize that Sanchez is probably the most divisive player on this team. There's either the uh, the Romanites, who you guys are familiar with. I, I dubbed them this winter. And now I'm dubbing the El Krakenites. Those are the Gary Sanchez supporters. You have the Sanchez supporters versus the Romine supporters. And you, you're, you're nodding your head no. You disagree. I'm, I'm saying I... I, I... I don't know where the Romine supporters, how they live. How, how uh, They you... live that every time Gary Sanchez doesn't hit a home run, makes an iffy play in the field, they are blurting out that Austin Romine needs to be the starting catcher. Okay, they're stupid. Okay. That but there, whole, is, like, there that are people, people out there who believe Austin Romine needs to be starting over Gary Sanchez. Right. And I think, it's, I think it's a problem because I like Austin Romine as what he is, a quality backup catcher, who gives you good at-bats, and handles pitchers. He's not a defensive jabberwocky that people make him out to be. Right. Because well, they, think he, they just assume he is because he's a backup catcher, and that's just not the case. This is not Jose Molina back there. Right. So you look at their defensive metrics. Um, I'll break it down. So Gary Sanchez, five errors. Let me first say this. Gary Sanchez has caught 121 innings this year. Austin Romine, 104 innings. So both decent sample sizes. Gary Sanchez, five errors. Not great. He had a lot of throwing errors early in the season that added to that total. Romine, no errors. Okay, so if you're just looking, if you're a casual uh, fan who doesn't look past errors in fielding, you're going to say Gary Sanchez sucks. Austin Romine's great. But when you look at it more, Gary Sanchez has allowed seven stolen bases and caught one stealing. Not great. Romine's allowed 10 stolen bases in fewer innings and only caught one stealing. They both have two pass balls. Gary Sanchez has six wild pitches, including one today with Tanaka on the mound. Austin Romine has four wild pitches. So a lot of these stats are similar. And in the case of stolen bases, Romine does not have nearly as good of an arm as Gary Sanchez. And a lot of those stolen bases happened in the first weekend of the season when Sanchez threw two balls into center field trying to throw runners out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away. By the way, uh, Tulowitzki was pulled after he got on base. Tightness in the calf. Uh, I, I, Bye-bye. I don't care about Troy Tulowitzki. I said this from the beginning, the moment they signed him. Waste of friggin' time. I don't care. It doesn't matter. He's not playing. So, I mean, tightness in the calf, that's, that's not good for him anyway. Chow so, he, he hit a home run, though, too. But the... Um, Wee! <laughs> um. The, the catcher situation, the, look, Gary Sanchez, the fact if, if we're talking about errors that, uh, on balls that he threw, like you're crazy if that's what you're crying about. The, the fact that you know we're talking about errors where he's blocking the ball and, and balls are getting through him, that's a different thing. The throwing errors, come on. Like, beginning of the season, like that's his strength. We all know that's his strength. If you don't identify that as a strength of his, you're crazy. And, and if, that's, if that's an argument that anybody's leaning on, like I, I, I highly question their, their baseball IQ. I, I really do. Because when you look at the players, it's so very clear who the better player is, who the starter needs to be. And that's just, that's just, that's just it. That's just, that's just it. I mean, I get it. Austin Romine's better at blocking balls in the dirt. I think yeah. he's always going to be better at blocking balls in the dirt, but that is the only thing he's better than Gary Sanchez at. And if Fine. you want to look at pitcher ERA with each one catching... I know a lot of people make a big deal out of this. I, I really don't. Uh, the whole personal catcher thing, we went over it in length last year with Sonny Gray. And everybody think, has talked about Sanchez, how he's a good receiver, and they like throwing the ball to him. I think it's stupid, the personal catcher thing. But if you want to look at these stats, 
Gary, the team has a 3.95 ERA with Gary Sanchez, and it has a 4.57 ERA with Austin Romine. I know there's a lot of variables that go into that. Who's catching? We, I mean, who, who are they playing when that guy is catching? Because if you're going up against the Houston Astros versus going up against the Kansas City Royals, obviously you're going to have different ERAs because one team is a much better hitting team than the other. But over the season so far in 121 innings versus 104 innings, better ERA with Gary Sanchez. Oh, and by the way, it's a bad time for them to be talking about Austin Romine being a starting catcher because freaking Gary Sanchez just hit a grand slam to the moon, 400 and what was it? 70 some feet, some stupid amount. And then, oh, by the way, the next day or day after that, he hit another monster shot. So there's an offense, which is half of the game that he's, you know, literally the best hitting catcher in baseball. So, you know, I don't know where we're, I don't even know why this is a thing. I don't know what they just people need to stop. If it. you guys, if you, Scott, or anyone out there wants to test this um, Krakenites versus Romanites, just tweet out something about Gary Sanchez or tweet out something about Austin Romine and you'll see the vitriol that goes into your mentions because it is it, it happens. Um, and, and it's just crazy because usually the fans side with a player that comes up and is homegrown, right? The, you almost give those kind of guys more benefit of the doubt in a lot They're of cases. They're both homegrown, though. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. Gary Sanchez is... They're both home- what, Especially what Gary Sanchez did back in the second half of 16. The problem is, is that they're both homegrown guys... Austin Romine is more of a, um, a blue collar guy. More people it, can identify with Austin Romine. Is Gary that what you're Sanchez saying? has had bouts with 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 quote laziness. Has had issues in the minor leagues with his effort. I'm not denying those. I and think that, those are that, that is an issue. I think. No, no, no. I think that's why people are more critical of him because of those things. The we fact killed that, him for the the hustle hustle gate last year. We well, were because it was on top of a billion a billion other things. It was it was on top of a billion other things, but. Either way, I if the Yankees are going to be a, a a team that's going to produce and going to be playing at a high level and deep into the season, they need Gary Sanchez to be the guy that we think he can be, and and that's both you know improving. He doesn't need to be, and I've talked about this in the past. Like his defense sometimes drives me nuts, but I just need him to be you know a. I need to see improvement. I want to see him you know uh, being a, a better catcher. I don't need him to block every single ball. It's just it's just not it's not something that's that's um. That's necessary when you have the bat that he has and the and the fact that he has such an impact on the game on the offensive side and throwing the ball and keeping runners at bay, the value is insane. So yes, he's going to miss some balls that are in the dirt. I understand that. It just cannot be at alarming rates. Thought you would get more of a kick out of Krakenites. <laughs> I was pleased with myself on that one. The Krakenites. Yeah. Yeah, see, uh, I went. I went. I went right to like smoking crack. That's what I was thinking of. I didn't see where your mind is. <laughs> All right. Maybe it's because uh, there's a, there's a there's another side of it. And you that, spent too much time in Norfolk, crack. Virginia, my friend. A lot of crack. <laughs> Going home to play the Twins. The Twins are pretty good this year. First place in their division. They're fourth in team home runs. First in team OPS. This is not the normal Twins team we see. But they are usually a Yankees punching bag, so I think it's good. You're coming home after a successful road trip. Day off on Thursday can beat up on the Twins. But it is a start of a 13-game stretch with no off days um, in there. So three against the Twins, four against Seattle, and then a quick trip down to Tampa for three, and then three more against Baltimore. So not the easiest of stretches for the Yankees coming home. No, and Minnesota, that's another thing I talked to Mike about. 
uh, in the next segment is is the fact that the the uh, Minnesota Twins are having you know their best start as a franchise with the power and and slugging and the amount of um, you know home runs that are leaving the park and a lot of that is because they've played the Baltimore Orioles a lot. And, but and, you know why else that is? Well, Mike was talking about also this the the fact that he he's he's on the uh, same page as us I believe in the fact that they are so bad historically possibly the worst pitching staff that has ever been assembled. Baltimore? Yes. No, I know, but you know why else the Twins are hitting for power? Um, Nelson Cruz. Rocco Baldelli is their manager. Pride of Rhode Island. I thought Nelson Cruz brought some special sauce in. Probably. That's more likely, yeah. 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 But uh, we get to see, I'm so excited for this, Michael Pineda on the mound in the Bronx on Sunday afternoon. Michael Pineda against Domingo Herman. I feel like that's a great pitching matchup because it scares me. It scares me. Domingo Herman is like the the pitcher we wanted Michael Pineda (laughs) to become. (laughs) Like what we're seeing Domingo Herman right now do is like flashes of Michael Pineda when we saw him like go out there and strike out sixteen Baltimore Orioles on Mother's Day. Um, But Pineda has allowed thirty seven hits in twenty nine innings, so it would not shock me if he pitches a seven inning two hit shutout against the Yankees. That's the problem. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of uh, we're not going to see the the car wash flailing hands because he's not going to show that emotion at home being in a twins uniform. It's not the same thing. So we're not going to see that. That's what we're used to. But, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde, that, that was his nickname for us for a long time. Jekyll and Hyde. The guy had all the, all the tools in the world. Massive human being. He was the good side of the Jose Montero trade, supposedly. Jesus, Jesus Montero, whatever the hell. The ice cream hating machine of Jesus Montero. Um, and just nobody won that trade. That's just the end of the day. Nobody won that. We, we all ended lost. up deciding that we, we all lo- lost. the Yankees lost the trade because we had to suffer more through Pineda <laughs> yeah. than the Mariners had to suffer through Montero. Yeah. So um, it was. Um, but yeah, I, I, I expect him to come out there and probably light us on fire, and it's going to piss me off. I think if if Pineda is like through three innings and hasn't allowed anything, I think Boone needs to ask the umpires to check him for pine tar. Yeah. Just to mess <laughs> well, mess with. It his doesn't head. really have. To, you don't have to check anybody. It'll be glistening. You'll see it because <laughs> he's not very smart. <laughs> he puts it like on his cheek. Um. All right. That is pretty much it for this episode. Except. We're gonna, you're going to talk to Mike, and before we get to the Petriello segment, we're going to give away a T-shirt because you oh, mentioned yeah. it last week. So if you guys left us a rating and review in iTunes, you may be winning a T-shirt right now. We do really appreciate all the ratings and reviews. As we say over and over again, it helps us out immensely. It is the number one thing other than actually listening to this show that you guys can do to support us because uh, the simple truth is the more ratings, the more reviews we get, the more people will see this podcast, the more people will listen to it. If a Yankees fan goes into iTunes or searching wherever, they're going to find us if they see a bunch of good reviews. So we appreciate it. Scott. Yeah, I'm going to get greedy also and say that telling a a friend of yours to listen to our show and subscribe is also something that you can do that would be very beneficial to us. So thank you. That would be the other thing as me getting greedy. But winner of the T-shirt is uh, Calabell. That's all I got. Calabell is um, you give us five stars, he or she, and says, I don't know what I would do uh, at my office job if I didn't have these guys to listen to being one of the few fans 
in Boise, Idaho. It's great to hear some baseball talk. It doesn't involve the Mariners, Rockies, or some dumb California teams. I love being able to hang out at a bar, talk circles around the guys and uh, and, and girls that think they know more knowledge, have more knowledge about sports and insights. And the recaps and insight from Andrew and Scott help out. Uh, you guys making West Coast fan much better, and I can't wait to come to the stadium to one of the events. Awesome. I read p- most of that accurately. A lot of words I skipped, but so, sen- sentiment being the same. I have uh, – there. this person says they're West Coast. They're a Idaho state from the West Coast. Oregon is uh, in the middle. I mean, you got to go through all of Oregon. So are you telling me that Idaho is Midwest? No. So where are they? They're mountain. They're, they're a mountain, mountain region. They're mountain people. Yeah, like, I don't would know. You There's say, corn. Would you say Ohio is the East Coast? No, but it's further away than the coast than Idaho. No. I don't know. One I, state. I would, I would say Pennsylvania would probably say East Coast. Well, Pennsylvania borders the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Where? Philadelphia? No. <laughs> No, <laughs> there's there's a there's a Delaware. Water oh, there's a little gap. river that goes up there. It's called the Delaware Water Gap, the Delaware River. Yeah, no, you're 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 bad at geography. Just stop it. Just stop what you're doing. Pennsylvania would probably claim East Coast though. I think Pennsylvania is more East Coast than Idaho is. I, I, West Coast. I barely know where Idaho is. If I'm being very honest with you, I know that it's over there somewhere, and there's there's either potatoes or corn. One of the two. I think now I said corn, but I think it's potatoes actually. Iowa's corn. Fine. They play baseball in Idaho or just Iowa? I think they, I think they play football in Idaho. <laughs> All right. Are we going home? Is this West Coast trip done yet? Because I'm yes, delirious. I think, I think what we have found in this podcast, this Wednesday evening podcast, after a bunch of late nights on the West Coast, after a bunch of meetings and all that kind of stuff for both of us i know our brains are fried and i think that's the product that you got so i hope you guys enjoyed it stay tuned for the segment scott did with mike petriello from the Statcast podcast you're gonna learn a thing or two i think from that segment we will talk to you guys on sunday actually on monday we're gonna be speaking on sunday the episode will come out on monday <laughs> you guys want to think they understood I think they you guys want to submit mailbag questions or call the voicemail line you guys know where to do it do that from monday's show we'll talk to you then I'm excited to bring on Mr. Mike Petriello, who writes for MLB.com and hosts the StatCast podcast to talk some Yankees baseball and some of this advanced metrics, analytics stuff that we've been talking about so much with all of our replacement players coming up. Mike, thanks so much for coming on and joining me. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the Yankees are doing something that's, you know, relatively unprecedented in the sense that they're still winning with a lot of these guys that, you know, really wouldn't be in the major leagues right now. And uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of it, figure out why exactly this is all happening. And I uh, wanted to talk with you, obviously, because of your, uh, you know, your advanced knowledge and the advanced metrics. So what, if you could identify something when you're looking at these guys and, and possibly what the Yankees have looked at, uh, you know, we've seen the wins with, uh, from Brian Cashman with, with Didi and Hicks. And now Luke Voigt is, is, you know, come to the top of the mountain as far as the Cashman gems. Is there something that they are the Yankees have identified that they're looking for in position players, or are these all very individual cases? Yeah, I don't think it's one specific thing. I mean, they were pretty clear with Luke Voigt that they liked 
you know, his uh, exit velocity and hard hit stats in the minor leagues, which we don't have access to. I don't even have access to it here. Uh, and I don't think that that's probably the same thing he would have said about Didi Gregorius uh, or maybe even Aaron Hicks. You know, I, I think with Voight, obviously, you know, it's not like they went out and uh, cherry picked him off the hands of a, an organization who's like super far behind the times. Like the Cardinals are not, uh, you know, an unintelligent organization. I think they just didn't necessarily have room to give him a chance because they had Matt Carpenter playing first base and then they, you know, made that trade. So I think part of it's about opportunity, um, but certainly part of it is, you know, you have to have something more than just triple A stat lines to make you interested in a righty righty first baseman who's in his late twenties. And clearly they saw something there uh, that they really liked. And I imagine, you know, 28 other teams and maybe the Cardinals as well, wish they had seen the same thing. I mean, this is the sort of thing that the Yankees and other teams like the Astros, the Dodgers, they always sort of be out in front on. Um, and clearly uh, boy in the early weeks of the season has, has proven it's for real. You know, he's, as I saw him say in an article today in the athletic, he didn't want to be the next Shane Spencer. And uh, so far so good on that. Yeah, no, I was just reading that actually him talking about how how there's been that comparison because there has, you know, the Shane Spencer having that late surge, um, you know, at the end of the year and him, you know, Voight saying, I got to write my own story now. I'm not I'm not Shane Spencer. I'm not that guy. I'm trying to to write my own story. And he he's always talked about how he's he's got the belief that the guy does not lack in confidence. That's for sure. I mean, he knows he can hit and he even identifies that he's got some work to do in the field. Um, but, but he always knew that, that he could hit. So do you think this was like just a simple change of scenery and, and, you know, a guy that is, uh, you know, has full belief in his, his confidence to, to produce like this on the major league level? I mean, I think it's probably three or four different things. I think yeah. number one is simply opportunity. You know, the Cardinals never really gave him much of an opportunity. Um, he had like, I think a cup of coffee with St. Louis and uh, that's about it. Um, not that he did all that much in that time, so that's fair. But I think it's really more about opportunity. And then, you know, we read probably the same article in The Athletic this morning, uh, and it seems clear that the Yankees gave him a lot easier access to the technology that he's interested in. Uh, he doesn't have to go into the video room at the stadium to see what he wants. He gets it served to him on an iPad he can take anywhere, which seems almost crazy to me that every team in baseball doesn't do that right now. But yeah. maybe after seeing Luke Voigt, uh, they'll start doing that. So, you know, it really starts with identifying a guy with skill because, you know, you could have a guy who simply doesn't hit the ball hard or is just is not going to be talented enough to be a major league player. There's not much you can do for him. Uh, so it starts with identifying a guy like Luke Voigt who didn't get the opportunity. And then it seems like Voigt is the kind of guy who's interested in learning more about how to maximize his skills, and he's with the right organization to do that. Uh, that's still the gap I think we see in baseball, that some teams are really good at helping guys get better, and some teams not so much. And that gap is closing a little bit. You know, you don't have teams that are 10 miles behind like there used to be. But even the, uh, like Ron Gardenhider, who, who is managing the Tigers, this spring said, you know, we're catching up. We're kind of far behind. And the gap is closing, but it's still there. So that's why you see the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers, uh, the Rays, et cetera, kind of still out in front of the stuff. Now, you mentioned that the 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 metrics or the the numbers from minor leagues like Voights are not available to you or to some other people. How How is that? How is that information distributed on the minor league system? Is that is that private per for each organization, and they don't distribute it, or like how are the Yankees acquiring numbers on Luke Voigt like that, or is that available to the teams? Well, it's not one overall system like we have at the major league level. Right. Each team owns and operates their own systems at their own parks, uh, so you can either you know you can either get guys who are coming through on the road if you want to get uh, opposing teams. So let's say Luke Voigt maybe had played at a Yankee uh, farm system team at some point, mm-hmm. or I imagine some teams have, uh, you know, data sharing partnerships where they'll be like, okay, we'll give you our guys when you come through, you give us your guys, et cetera. Uh, so that's kind of how it's done. There's not one formal way. 
Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting, though, because, you know, the investment, I mean, I know the Orioles were talking about making that investment in personnel and analytics and all these things in the offseason. That was one of the things they were hanging their hat on. But it really does go deep into the system, because if you have that advanced analytics, you know, tracking ability at your own park, well, you have a leg up then on a lot of the competition as far as scouting and, and seeing what these guys are doing, especially if you're, you know, if you're putting that much money and belief into what the numbers are telling you um, from guys on a low level. So that's that's something I never even really thought of. I don't think many people have thought of the, you know, just that leg up from from teams like the Yankees who have put that money into, you know, some of the minor league uh, advanced metric systems. So that's interesting. The um, when you're looking at and obviously the Yankees are using it because they've gone out there and, and found some some, uh, you know, some prize pieces um, again, D.D. Hicks, Voight, Herman, uh, Talkman, even like the lower guys, like you're looking at a guy like Talkman. It was kind of you're looking around and saying, well, why is this? Why is this guy up here now? Why are we not giving you know, an opportunity to someone else in the minor leagues? Why are we making this acquisition and then bringing him directly up? Um, and then Ursula Ursula is now hitting, uh, he's got 144 OPS plus. Like, can you explain what this guy is doing and how he's doing it? I mean, for him, I honestly think it is, you know, a lot of small sample. He has always been known as a guy who has a fantastic glove, you know, and I think you've, you've seen that even sure. in his short time uh, in the Bronx. But, you know, nothing about what he's doing uh, is, is sustainable <laughs> on an offensive point of view. He's only been in, like, I don't know, 20 games and, like, 50 or 60 plate appearances. Um, so, you know, it's, it's nice that he's gotten off to this good start. It's obviously uh, been a big thing, but I don't think there's really any clearly noticeable change here where you're like, wow, that guy is suddenly different uh, in a way he's never been. And it's probably unlikely he's going to get the chance to continue it. You know, when Andujar comes back, when some of the guys start getting healthy, when LeMahieu's playing a little more third base, um, he is, you know, a guy with a 388 batting average on balls in play. Uh, so a great hot start at the right time, but probably nothing that's, you know, a big change or sustainable for him going forward. Yeah, if you want some comedy, just go check out some uh, some of the Yankees' Twitter and see how people want Urshel instead of Miguel Andujar playing third base because you get wrapped up in the small sample size and the guys are winning and it's fun and <laughs> lots, of, uh, well, lots, of, lots of Yankees' uh, Twitter. I will say this. I do want that on defense. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Andujar is a lousy fielder and Urshel is actually pretty good. Uh, but at the plate, there's clearly no comparison. Right. And there's been, you know, there's been lots of talk of, um, of Andujar getting better in Excel and, you know, you know, improving that defense, obviously. And I think just the opportunity to give him, you know, for him to be on the field so that we can, we can see if he's improved because obviously that's a, a, a big part of, uh, you know, what, why people wanted to go the other route when they're talking about like Manny Machado or just putting someone else over there. You know, the majority of that conversation started with his defense. So, yeah, and he, he, he's not going to ever be a gold glover, but he's young and it's possible he could improve to, uh, you know, competent as opposed to future DH, which is what it sort of looked like last season. Yeah, and that's really all he needs. He needs to be, you know, league average or even just a little below league average. It just can't be a, the, the horrible, you know, not, not, be, not able to turn a double play. We, we need the, uh, a guy that's a, at least a little bit more average. Um, something about these Yankees, the, the replacements that we're, we're calling them replaced for 28, the, uh, these guys are on... Um, they're on pace right now. They're currently ranked first in Major League Baseball for team average exit velocity. How is that even possible when they're missing the guys like Judge, Stanton, Sanchez for a long time? I don't, I don't get how these guys are, are doing that at such a, at such a high level and, and the talent's just not there. Well, I do think any discussion of the recent hot streak with replacement players has to begin a little bit with who they've played. Like, like okay. They really have played some of the weakest teams in baseball. Like the Royals 
aren't any good. The Angels aren't any good. The Giants are terrible. You know, not to take away from what the Yankees have done, but it's been fortunate timing because remember right before that, they got swept by the Astros. And yes. I, I still believe in the Yankees, but um, you do have to like, at least keep track of, wow, they've played some uh, pretty rotten teams. As far as the hard hit rate goes, um, you know, part of that is, you know, Aaron Judge was hitting the ball hard before he got hurt. You know, it's not like this only just started um, when everybody got hurt. Uh, but you do have some guys that are hitting the ball harder than ever. Obviously, like Gary Sanchez coming back uh, in his limited playing time and being a beast is great. And I think, you know, Luke Voigt, obviously, but I think people don't think enough about um, what a you know, above-average offensive player DJ LeMahieu is. Like I wrote about this over the winter, people assumed he'd leave Colorado and, you know, he'd go back to his whatever 270 career road on base percentage. And that's not really how it works. That's never how it works when somebody leaves the Rockies. Um, but he's kind of exceeded expectations. I mean, he's got a 50% hard hit rate, uh, which is you know phenomenal for a guy you kind of think of as a somewhat light-hitting middle infielder, and obviously his glove is great. Because if you look up and down the lineup, you know the only guys who are sort of below average uh, in hard hit would be Brett Gardner, who you don't really expect that from, uh, Ursula, and then in you know small samples, Tyler Wade and Tulowitzki, uh, you know, and you didn't expect much from Tyler Wade anyway, so... The fact is, these guys are hitting the ball, you know, not insanely hard, but but hard enough up and down the lineup. There hasn't really been one black hole uh, as far as power goes, other than you know Gardner. And again, that's not really his game. And Judge, before he went down, and maybe this is just a small sample sizing, but his his uh, percentage, I'm sorry, his slugging percentage before his injury is is lower than you know his his hard hits. It's lower than normal. So do you, do you see any like corresponding reason why? the hard hit balls are, are not, you know, corresponding to that, that standard of, of high slugging percentage. Is it, you know, I know he's had a new two strike approach or potentially the conspiracy theorists out there, which uh, I, I might be one of them thinks that he's, has been injured for a little bit longer than, uh, than we all expect. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theory because <laughs> I have no knowledge of any of that. Um, yeah. I, I think part of it was that probably, his 2017 was so insanely good that it's an unreasonable expectation yeah. um, for anyone to stick to. Like, uh, I'm looking at it now. His season to date before he got hurt, it looks in the slash line, it looks pretty close to what it was last year. And uh, I know last year seemed like a disappointment because it wasn't the year before, um, but it was still pretty good. It looks like he's hitting the ball you know, a little higher than he was last year, which is good. But yeah, I just don't know that anybody was going to repeat that 2017. That was the kind of year where everything went absolutely perfectly. You know, and he's, it was really off to a fantastic start this year. The strikeouts were down slightly. The hard hit rate is up. Uh, I'm not going to worry too much about the outcome numbers in his you know, 20 games or whatever it was. Uh, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that's troubling because it's not the first time he's been hurt with this injury. He's obviously a very large man, and he's going to be out for, I'm not even sure we know a return date. And then you kind of wonder how this is affecting when he comes back. Yeah, that's the thing with, with an oblique injury, I think, with a, a guy like you said. So how big he is, those it's going to take even longer for a guy like that to get back and then get his timing right. And, you know, I got to believe when you're when you're that big, the, the timing, if it's thrown off a little bit, it's just it's a lot harder to get all the all in sync. I and mean, that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of Aaron Judge to get in sync, you know, and coming back from an injury in the middle of a season. So he's done it in the past. But yeah, like we don't know what his time frame is. And, and I think that time frame is probably going to be longer, even if he was. Even if it was a small injury, I mean, I'm, I still think that they were going to make th- make sure things calmed down and and then get him back into uh, the flow of things at his own pace. Certainly not going to rush him. 
Looking, looking at the other side of the coin, I want to talk about Domingo Herman a little bit because he's obviously come around and been a really big part of this rotation, especially with Severino going down and, and really not being able to, uh, to step up in that number one spot that we all expected him to do. But Herman's really been putting up the you know, similar numbers and, and kind of taking uh, that pressure off of the, the rotation. Do you see what, – what are you looking at when you see Herman? Because I know they identified him during that trade. There was the original trade from the Marlins was um, for Avaldi and uh, Garrett Jones. And basically, Herman was a throw-in to care, so that Garrett Jones' contract could be included in there. But I have seen that the Yankees identified him early uh, with the Marlins as, as a top prospect. They think that he was going to be a guy that could progress into something. So what are you seeing on the metric side of Herman and, and why he's been so successful? Well, I think if you look at it, he's actually uh, his strikeouts are down a little bit from last year, but it looks like his home runs are down by like you know two thirds from last season, which is huge. And it's kind of an outlier in this season where everybody on earth seems to be hitting home runs and allowing home runs. Um, he has done a good job of limiting those home runs, which is a pretty big deal for him. I mean, that's what was killing him uh, before. He's got an interesting fastball. It's like 93rd percentile of spin rate which is cool. That doesn't guarantee, obviously, any success, but it certainly uh, you know, tends to lend itself to swinging strikes and pop-ups. Uh, and he's using his curveball a little more. So you know, he's, he's always been this interesting guy. He's never really been able to show any consistency. Um, like the stuff has always been there, as you said, and he's never really had this opportunity. Um, I remember one of his first starts last year, I watched him, and I thought, wow, this guy is going to be incredible. And then you know, it didn't really uh, come together in that way. But what really stood out to me this year uh, is what happens when he gets into you know the spots with, uh, with men on and tight situations. Last year he got hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, if you go look at his stats in uh, you know with with men on and high leverage situations, he's been incredible. And that's going to keep runs off the board. I don't know that that's a change in skill. I don't know that that's sustainable. But it certainly explains a lot about how that ERA has stayed so low. And he's you know I think kind of a good example of for a lot of teams he's maybe like the third starter, and for the Yankees he's maybe the seventh starter, and uh, that, that goes right back to depth. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want. You don't necessarily want to have to rely on to start the year, but you want to have this guy to be able to pull in when you need him, and the Yankees clearly have. So his progression is probably one of the more fascinating things about the season. Like, yeah, James Paxton has been great, no doubt, but whenever healthy, you expect James Paxton sure. to be great. Like, it's not shocking to me that he's been this good. You know, Tanaka is more or less what Tanaka is. Jay Happ is what he is, Sabathia, et cetera. Uh, but the one guy who's really kind of taken this step forward and shown you something different uh, is Herman. He's, you know, only 26 years old. I'm not sure I still see him as, like, the best pitcher on this staff all season long. But so far, he's been, he's been huge for them. Well, what do you think his ceiling is? Because the the one thing we did see last year, and you hit it on the head, when he started getting into some of those high-pressure situations, he'd leave the ball over the plate and was getting hit hard. And, you know, you still see all the swing and miss percentage that was some of the, I think it was top 20 in the league, you know, when he was uh, when he was out there. But then you see him getting into trouble, you know, second and third time through the through the uh, lineup, and and you know his numbers don't look like you want them to towards the end. But the the flashes were there, and it seems like this year, whether it's you know putting it all together or just more part of the maturation process. Um, but where do you see his ceiling? I mean, it's it's always tough to tell. Like he's got the raw tools, right? But lots of guys have the, the raw tools, and they don't necessarily put them all together. I mean, it certainly seems like the Yankees 
well, let me take a step back on that. It, like the Yankees seem like a great spot for a guy like this because they've got this huge staff and you know analytical guys who can really help you get the most out of it. But you know we've all seen you know that that hasn't worked for everybody. It certainly did not work for Sonny Gray. You know, and no, then he goes not. off to Cincinnati, and he's been really good so far this year. Uh, so it's it's never a one size fits all thing on anything. You know, it's always about getting the right fit between player and city and organization and pitching coach and all of this. And that's why, you know, sometimes fans will, will kill. I'll give you a good example, right? The, uh, the, the Chris Archer trade right now looks terrible for Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? Because Archer is like, he's been good, right? But Glasnow looks great and Meadows looks great. And I think what fans kind of miss is that as good as Tyler Glasnow has been for the Rays uh, and ha- as bad as that looked for the Pirates to give him up, I'm not sure he could have been this guy with the Pirates. Sure. You know, it really sounds like he needed – uh, you know, a, a different pitching uh, strategy or, or different voices in his ear, whatever the case may be. And going back to Herman, you know, it seems like the Yankees are a good spot for a guy like this. Uh, but you never know, you know, so far so good because he's got those raw, raw tools. Uh, can kind of go back to what I said before. It's not about finding talented guys anymore. Every team can do that. It's about getting the most out of that talent. Look, the number 55 was, was great with the Yankees when, when we had Godzilla and Matsui running it. And then all of a sudden, Sonny Gray comes into town with all this hype and expectations and ruins the number. And 55, and we're looking at that. Now we all have a negative impact about that number. And then Domingo Herman comes back in the very next year, plugs into that spot, and the resurgence of number 55 again. So we can all appreciate Domingo Herman very much for that. Um, the AL East, you talked about Tampa being uh, on top of the, uh, the analytics and, and looking into the minor league systems and things like that. Is Tampa's pace for real? Are they a, are they a team that you think is going to be there at the end? Oh, they're definitely for real. If you, I was just looking at this this morning. If you look at the, uh, like on Fangraphs, you can go and find a leaderboard that shows the last uh, 365 days, so the last calendar year. And over the last calendar year, the Rays have 97 wins, which oh. is the, I think, fifth, fifth most in baseball. I don't think that they're necessarily better than the Yankees or the Red Sox over the course of the season. But if you were the Rays and you could plan out the season and think to yourself, okay, what's like the best possible first month? Uh, it would be for them to get off to a great start. Every Yankee who ever lived to get hurt and half of the Red Sox forget how to play baseball. You know, And those things are not going to maintain. You've already seen the Red Sox have played a lot better uh, over the last couple of days. Obviously, the Yankees are winning and they're going to get healthier. So it does sort of look like it's going to be, I think, a three-team fight to the end. It would not surprise me in the least if two of these three teams are in the wild card game, whichever combination you prefer. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen a Yankee-Red Sox one-game playoff before. That would be pretty fun. And, uh, well, that's not sure, obviously, we have with, uh, back in the day, but I mean in terms of a wild card. Right. Um, yeah, the Rays are for real. They, their pitching is incredible. They have had this streak of moves that have really paid off. Like like I said, the Glasnow Meadows trade looks incredible. The Tommy Pham deal looks incredible. Uh, going after Yandy Diaz has really worked out well for them. Uh, picking up G-Man Choi for basically nothing has worked out well for them. They are probably like the most fun team for me to watch right now. When I sit down and I have the choice of all 30 teams to watch, the Rays are generally where I go to just because they're so interesting with these guys that most people don't know, like Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado and all these relievers. Um, they're for real. Uh, and not sitting here saying they're going to hold off the Yankees all season long because I picked the Yankees to win the division and I still think that's probably true uh, but if I had to pick right now I'm thinking we're going to see a Red Sox raise wildcard game and that is going to be a lot of fun yeah no it's they've done a phenomenal job down there for I mean there's there's absolutely no doubt about it it's a shame that they have to play in the trap and when you're watching those games you have to see uh, the trap which looks absolutely terrible on television so it's not it's not fun to watch them play in that game but, um, but the you said you're talking about Boston and them playing better recently 
I mean, do you still do you, do you think that they're going to come back from this? That they have obviously a ton of talent on that team, but do you think they're in serious trouble? Well, I think that they've got a lot to worry about, but I also think when you look at the American League right now, uh, there's not a ton of competition for this for the wild card spots. I mean, if you figure that the Astros are clearly going to win the West, and I don't believe in the Mariners at all, so I'm assuming that they're going to fall off. Uh, you know, who else is in the mix for the wild card? Three of the teams in the Central aren't going anywhere. Uh, I don't believe in Toronto or certainly Baltimore. So the main competition is whichever team doesn't win the Central between the Twins uh, and Cleveland and the other two teams in the East. So I think they're going to make that playoff spot. And really, once you get in there, there's nothing stopping them from making another run. Like This is still mostly the same team that was so good last year. There's nothing preventing them from making moves to you know improve that bullpen or whatever else they need. They're still a very dangerous team that just won the World Series like six months ago. Well, that's the thing that, you know, they're, we're talking about the moves that they, um, that they could potentially make to make their team better and the bullpen, especially, but they didn't make really many thing many moves in the off season. They signed Evaldi, uh, didn't really address that, that bullpen. And you're kind of looking at their, their situation with the tax threshold too, and wondering if they are going to make that, uh, you know, another move to put them over the hump or, you know, last year was, uh, was, was cool because we won the world series and, and we're going to kind of rest on that for a bit and not go over that, um, you know, get into more tax implications uh, because of that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out. The Yankees are in a similar situation in the sense that they're close to the, the, the second uh, threshold. And, uh, you know, what's that going to look like at the trade deadline? Are we there, Is there a move to be made that will put them over? And are they willing to make that move? Yeah, I think there is. They certainly have never shown the inclination to be passive. They're going to go out uh, and find the right move for them. And I think there's going to be some interesting guys in the market, especially as some of the other American League teams uh, fall out of the mix. Uh, wouldn't it surprise me to see the Reds start being sellers at some point, and they have some interesting relievers. So these these three teams, I think all three of them in the East, are going to make a lot of noise this summer at the trade deadline. Uh, at what point do you start looking at trends and you know in a season and saying that these are you know things that we can really look on and rely upon? Like, is there is there a point when you're like, okay, there's been enough enough games, and we can start looking at these trends as absolutely like, very real things? Well, it sort of depends on which trend. League wide yeah. trends, I think. You can already put a lot of stock into the fact that home runs are up and are probably going to break records and strikeouts are up. Uh, shifts are up. So that stuff is all you know, pretty reliable at this point. Individual guys, it really depends on the player and the amount of time and the stat uh, before you get too deep into most of that. Like, you know, I think Cody Bellinger is going to have a great season. I don't think he's going to continue hitting like peak Babe Ruth for the next six months. Uh, but as far as league-wide trends go, yeah, you can you can – Put a lot of stock into what you're seeing across the game right now. You know, more more velocity, fewer fastballs, more home runs, all that. So the Yankees are going home uh, to to face Minnesota, and they they've hit the ball hard. But I, I saw you tweeting about this as well. Um, potentially, mostly about the uh, the Baltimore pitching and, and less about the the Twins offense. But what are we what are we to expect from this this Twins offensive team? Well, they're they're weird, right? Because the Twins. <laughs> have gotten off to like the best slugging start in franchise history. Uh, but that says a little bit about the way baseball is played in 2019. And it says a lot about how many times they face the Orioles. Uh, the Orioles are probably, I don't know, this sounds like hyperbole and maybe it is, but they may be the worst pitching staff in the history of baseball. Yeah. So they certainly fattened up on those teams, uh, on those guys. And then they were more or less league average against other teams. So I still look at them as an above-average offense. I think Jorge Polanco is having the quietest breakout in baseball right now. I think Nelson Cruz uh, is continuing the slug. I don't think that they are going to be the best slugging team in the game as they have been right now. 
um, because they're just not going to face the Orioles, and some of these guys are going to come back to Earth. But, you know, they're for real. I'm very out on Cleveland, uh, and I think the Twins didn't really do enough this winter to make that push, but they still can. You know, they can be the team that gets Kimbrell or Keuchel or makes a trade because uh, the window is wide open, and there's really no point for them waiting. They're a tough team right now. And so just to, to, to kind of respond to that as well, the uh, the Cleveland, you mentioned that you're very out on them. What's the? Did they miss opportunities to sell off more pieces than they should have? Or... Um, because obviously they, they kept the pitching staff relatively intact uh, and, and they're, they're able to compete in that way. But what's the reason why you're out on them so hard? Well, no, not fell off. They opposite. They didn't do anything to add this winter. Right. Their offense, the offense is terrible. Uh, the outfield, especially, you know, it's, it was unexpected that Lindor got hurt to be sure. Uh, but Ramirez really was not very good the last two months, last season. Yeah. Uh, and it, he's still somewhat of a question mark for me. Uh, Lindor only just came back. And the rest of the offense is weak. Now, the, the rotation is fantastic. Uh, but even that's a little weak because Mike Clevenger got hurt. And Corey Kluber is off to a bit of a tough start. Uh, and I think that they they just didn't do anything this winter to try to improve. Uh, and I think they've been able to coast on that very weak division for a couple of years. And the Twins um, are going to try to change that this year. I mean, that's, this is their time. This is the time to stop with Cleveland. There is no point uh, in waiting another year. Well, let's hope the Twins don't uh, don't pick that up or hear you talking about that when they come into the, the Yankee Stadium. Um, obviously, the Yankees and the Twins, the Yankees have always had a very, very uh, good experience with the Twins when they play them. So hopefully that will that will continue on our end at least. But, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate your insight and uh, and diving into some more of these numbers so we can see you know why things are actually happening. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.